0: There's a lot of guilt in rescue. There's a lot of guilt when you can't do everything.
1: You're listening to the Believe in Dog Podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 76 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. So believe it or not, we're coming up on four years since I started the Believe in Dog podcast. It officially launched in October of 2019. But I had spent that whole summer of 2019 trying to teach myself how to do audio and how to do all these things because I was completely new to all of this. I just had this vision in my mind and in my heart for what I wanted to share with you, and I had to figure out how to technologically make that happen. So I'm telling you this because the conversation that you're going to hear today is something that has been floating around in my head. For most of these past four years. So I was so blessed a few weeks back to sit down in a room with Nicole Omar, who is a longtime foster mom for dozens and dozens of dogs and cats, with Melissa Trotman, who was the founder of a rescue known as Bella's Bully Buddies here in Baltimore that was active from 2012 through the end of 2019, where they adopted out over a thousand pit bull dogs, And Jen Carl, who you're going to love her story, she got her start taking Polaroid pictures of dogs in animal shelters and showing them to the other moms at the playgrounds and sports practices. I can't even begin to imagine how many dogs' lives have been touched by the collective efforts of these women, who are just a fraction of the beautiful souls who are all throughout Baltimore, throughout Maryland, throughout this country and throughout the world trying to save dogs' lives. And I have to tell you, you know, I've I've been volunteering in this animal welfare, animal sheltering world since 2008 and I thought I had a pretty good understanding of of things and of what it's like to be in the rescue world and quite frankly I definitely didn't know everything that there was to know, because some of the conversations we have completely blew my mind. In fact, during the beginning of the roundtable, I had noticed that Nicole kept looking at her phone. And at one point, she breaks into the conversation to tell us about a situation that had been going on that morning when an emergency veterinary hospital had contacted the rescue that she volunteers with in an attempt to save a dog's life, and it might be emotional for you to hear, and I'll be honest that I debated about whether I should edit it out of the conversation, but I thought it was really important to leave it in, because it was such an unexpected illustration of exactly what the rescues are dealing with nonstop. So, this is only part one of our conversation. I'll be releasing part two next Monday, August 28th, And in part one, we're going to get an introduction from everybody and hear a little bit of the backstory of how they were introduced to this world of shelters and rescues and of saving dogs' lives. And then we're going to get into the role of rescue and how this has evolved, particularly over the last 10 to 20 years, and that while the typical definition of a rescue is that they take dogs from the open admission shelters and try to find homes for them on their own. So that way it opens up more spaces at the animal shelter that there's also a lot more that's going into it. There's a lot more things that they're being contacted for. And this is where learning about the darker side of being involved in the rescue community really surprised me. I know some of it. I'm on social media. I see it but I was still genuinely and completely shocked at some of the experiences that get shared in the roundtable, And we talk a lot about the emotional toll that this has taken on our guests today. And then we're gonna get into things like what makes a good foster home and what is the role of the rescue in working with the foster families. And we're also gonna talk about those adoption requirements. I wanted to really dive into what goes into putting these adoption requirements together, and really getting some feedback from people who have been responsible for coming up with these requirements for their own organizations. So let's get started. I'm so excited for you to hear part one of the Rescue Roundtable so welcome everyone we're here today doing one of my favorite things which are the roundtable episodes today i have three wonderful women from baltimore's rescue community and we're doing a rescue roundtable because my heart is very much with the rescue community even though i don't know that i'm the one that's cut out for it (laughs) but at least i know that about myself so i want to have everybody go around and introduce themselves and uh let's start with you nicole
0: Hi, my name is Nicole Omar, and I um, have been doing rescue in the Baltimore area for about 10 years, cats and dogs, and I guess that's about it. All right.
2: (laughs) Hi, my name is Melissa Trotman, and I was the founder and director of Bella's Bully Buddies, a Baltimore-based pit mutt rescue from 2012 to late 2019, and I'm a temporarily retired from the rescue community while I raise my daughter and live far away, but hope to get back involved um, in the next few years.
1: Oh, wow. I didn't know that it was only a temporary retirement. You heard it here first.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm Jen Carl. I uh, have been nosing around shelters and rescues since 1994, and I worked as a liaison between shelters and rescues to try to get specific dogs to specific organizations that could help that dog um, not one of these major posting things on Facebook where the world is tagged it was just very quiet very specific very talking to the actual rescue person and not be like hey does anybody over there have space for or, you know this or that or the other it would be like hey, Jessica, I think I've got a dog that maybe you could help with. If you can't, could you let me know who can? So it was very tailored and nice, and we got a lot of dogs moved that way. And then I was asked to step in as the uh, interim executive director of Tara's house um, six years ago, or five and a half years ago, and that was actually really awful. Like, I don't know how executive director people do that, because that's, that's a lot of work. Um, And it's really not as much fun. (laughs) You don't get to like play with dogs. It's a lot of administrative stuff. So I ended up becoming the director of operations, which is a lot less answering emails and a lot more playing with dogs, which (laughs) I prefer. So um, yeah, so I've been doing that. So what was your
1: introduction into the rescue world? So, you know, I, I think it was back in 2008, I first got started in this kind of animal welfare community. And I have this very vivid memory. It's uh, when re- does Recycled Love? I don't even know if they're still around. Oh, but. Uh, yeah. I was at this meeting and Karen Reese was there and we had like been trying to get like this group of people together and all of a sudden she's like oh there's a dog I gotta go and that was like my first understanding of like oh this is what this is like an on-call lifestyle you know and that's where I'm kind of like oh I think I have other skills that can be put to use but I don't know that I you know, I don't have a lifestyle where I can like be on call and leave and go go right you know this minute kind of thing so so what was your like kind of inner introduction into all of this.
0: Um, So I adopted two cats from a rescue and the foster had started talking to me about fostering. And we at that time were moving into a larger home than our town home, had a nice yard and and such. So I uh, contacted the rescue she was working with, which was Bella's bully buddies. And then we started fostering. I had an eight month old baby Um, two elementary age stepchildren and a few dogs and cats of our own. And from there it just took off. It was our passion and we loved it. So how did you get started, Melissa? So I, uh,
2: adopted my first dog ever in my life in 2010. And that was from the Baltimore Humane Society. And I had been thinking about it for a while and, uh, My family decided it was time to do that, and so we went looking there, and I really didn't know anything about dogs or shelters or rescue or anything. I had never had a dog in my life. And we were talked into adopting the dog who had been there the longest (laughs) and who, you know, had some behavioral issues, nothing too serious, but because he had been cooped up in a shelter for a very long time. And uh, so it was sort of trial by fire. You know, we brought him home. I was extremely naive. I remember, like, I don't even remember if we had a crate. And it wasn't required. And I don't think anybody told me I should do that first. I mean, it was like learning every single little thing the hard way. Yeah. And we figured it out. And we got connected with some great trainers. And, you know, we we worked things out for him. And uh, about, let's see, so that was... In the spring of twenty ten and then by the end of the summer, I was sort of deeply entrenched in uh, as a barks volunteer and just sort of getting involved in understanding how rescues work and what their role is, and you know all that kind of stuff. so I got pretty heavily involved with barks quickly and you know, was a dog walking volunteer, and then learned how to run play groups. So did some of that. And that was a lot of fun. And uh, just developed a wonderful group of friends, you know, who were involved um, in dog walking and doing events for the shelter. And I just really loved it. So in the fall of 2010, I started doing transports. So to transport dogs from shelters to, you know, down to Virginia to go along their way to somewhere else to a rescue or a home. And uh, I was asked to volunteer for this big move of many dogs who had been pulled from barks by a rescue called Tara's Babies, which has since closed. And um, they were run by Buddhist monks and nuns. And they had a part of their organization was located somewhere in Maryland. And so they had heard Barks was in big trouble and just had more dogs that they could, than they could accommodate. And so they pulled a whole bunch of dogs from the shelter. And I think they had been told by some local people in the community that it would be really easy to find fosters for this, these dogs. And as we all know, that's not true at all. (laughs) Uh, It was not easy. Uh, The dogs all ended up in a boarding facility and a couple of them did find fosters, but I think they all ended up falling through. So so eventually, all the dogs were back in a boarding facility for at least six months, possibly longer. Wow. And they were the rescue was running out of money. And we all know how that goes, right? It's, you know, and you're, the longer that the dog is in a facility like that, the less likely they are to be adopted. And I also think that they had pulled a lot of dogs who were not turnkey dogs that you could just place in a home. And they needed a lot of work. And they certainly weren't going to get that in the boarding facilities. So I volunteered to help them get some of their dogs to Arizona, where they had a sanctuary. Wow. And I just volunteered for part of the drive. So I was going to go to Northern Virginia. And at the time, I was sort of interested in fostering, but I had never done it. And I asked them, is there a dog who you think would be good for my family? And they identified one. And I, I said, you know, is, we'll bring our dog. And if things go well with a brief introduction, we'll take one home. So my husband at the time brought the dog home. And I proceeded to help transport some of the others. And that was Bella. (laughs) So she was my first foster. And to make a very long story short, because this is turning into a very long story. She is an amazing dog just all around and just really has a knack for socializing with dogs. And I don't mean that she absolutely loves playing with dogs. I mean, she has incredible social skills. And she just knows how to behave around other dogs. And she could read other dogs. And she she really helped me pick dogs that were well-adjusted and social. And so she inspired me to start a rescue. And I convinced Anita Straczynski to be my partner in that. And uh, we started the Bella's Bully Buddies officially in May of 2012. So there was some time in between that. um, And I was continuing to volunteer at barks and with other rescues but we had some ideas about how we might do things differently from other rescues and not that they weren't were not we doing anything wrong but we just had some ideas about how if if we were going to do this these are the things that we would do and we agreed on it and we just we decided to go for it
1: and I believe I remember a statistic that you guys adopted
2: out like a thousand dogs in like ten
1: years. Yes,
2: it was about it was a it was seven a little over seven years, and yes, it was we hit the thousand mark. Yeah, and that's and, amazing. Uh, <laughs> it was I yeah I couldn't believe it. I mean, and it was with a lot of help, of course, from amazing volunteers who just you know all of our fosters. At one point, we had seventy dogs in the rescue. Wow! So that means we had probably 65 foster homes, Wow! which I mean, I can't, I mean, I'm saying it and I I don't believe it, even though I know (laughs) it's true, because I can't believe we managed that. But it was because we had really awesome fosters and people who also could be leaders. And they understood that we were humans, even though we were in charge. And that we just chose to be the leaders, but it didn't make us superhuman. So they really, you know, just pulled their weight and really helped things run. Or we wouldn't have been able to do that. You just gave me
1: a lot to dive into here. <laughs> <laughs> but Jen, tell us, how did you get started on this journey back
3: in 1994? Well, that was, I mean, that was it was so different back then. Yeah. Um, what we would do would be, I I adopted my first dog from the SPCA, and then you know there were a few of us that were like minded, and you know everything was so different back then. There there was a much higher euthanasia rate, um, so we would a bunch of moms, we would take these polaroid pictures you know of these dogs in kennels i mean they were really bad like through the cage like all the pictures they tell you not to take and then we would go to the meadow brook playground over there on falls road by joppa and our kids would like play on the you know sliding board or whatnot and we would just compare notes and see how we could get these dogs who we knew into different homes you know and they're there, it was phone calls, and there was no, like... It wasn't an internet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and like I was saying, I, I, I don't know how to download a podcast, so like <laughs> I wouldn't have known how to use a word processor back then. Like These were like little notes on napkins and stuff, and, and people complained that it was very exclusive, but it wasn't. We just didn't know who was interested in doing what we did. So there was like six of us you know. Um, So then fast forward to a few years, and of course, technology got better and things like that. And then I adopted um, Waldo, my Waldy beast, my bestie (laughs) boy, from the SPCA in 2007. And so I became really involved with the SPCA and, you know, tried to help with their fundraising efforts and things like that. And then they said that they were closing because of uh, construction. They were building a new facility. And I knew that they pulled a lot of dogs from Barks. So I'm like, well, why don't I go down to Barks and see if I can help out that way since the SPCA is not going to be able to pull dogs for a while. And that was such an amazing experience. And I, like, I don't know about you guys, but like, my Barks buddies are buddies for life. Like, They're people I don't see for like 10 years and I can pick right up like we went through so much I mean that's how I met Melissa that's how I met you you know that's how I met recycled love people that's how I met the Arfy people I'm you know everybody that had a rescue that's who you know who started a rescue I knew them and then there were so many other people that I knew and that I've met and it's been you know, those are the people, like, I always say, if, God forbid, like, my car breaks down in the middle of nowhere, I'm going to ask where the local animal shelter is, because those are going to be the, the realest people. They are <laughs> going to be the ones that are going to take care of me overnight until I can figure out how to get my car. Like, that would be exactly where I would go. So that was kind of how I got my start, and, um yeah. Two very strange dogs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to talk a little bit generally about like what the role of a rescue is. And I think it can vary like by different parts of the country and things like that. But I guess just basically around here, like what do you see is like the role of a rescue?
0: Well, I'm, I'm actually sitting here checking my text message, tearing up over a call we got in the middle of the night of a, Person whose dog was vomiting and they didn't have the money for surgery. So the ER called the rescue pities and purrs, who I'm working with currently, and asked us to pay for the surgery and take the dog on. Is it like an obstruction or something? We weren't sure last night going into it, mm-hmm. nor were we sure how much it was going to cost, but it was a middle of the night. Something has to be done. How'd they get your information? The ER's call. They know who to call. (laughs) Mama Mary. Yeah, exactly. Um, Long story short, they waited too long. The dog actually had a perforated valve and was suffering. And they had to make the call last night to um, euthanize him on the table. Um, So those are the kind of calls that rescues get. Yeah you know this person can't help their pet please take them um well that brings up like a whole yeah a quality issue for me but <laughs> yeah it's it's a lot i mean it's not just rescues taking dogs from shelters and finding homes for them there's so much more that can go into it there's the the people emailing all day every day, that can't feed their animals, that are evicted, that are, you know, single parents who are um, leaving domestic violence situations. Rescues are just taking in situations that the shelters can't now because they are so full. So it's, it. I feel like it's taken on a much different role than it used to. Is this like a post COVID thing? I mean, I think we kind of call everything a post-COVID thing at this point, but I mean, there were a lot of adoptions during COVID, statistically, but I I think it's probably just what was going to happen anyway. I mean, there's, there's no room at the shelters, so... And a lot of people are under the misunderstanding that shelters automatically will euthanize animals if they take them there as well. So they reach out to rescues. And and honestly, there was a
1: time when that was the case going back 20 years or so here.
0: Well, I mean, and they're so overcrowded
3: now. I'm not sure that that's not going to happen at this point. I mean...
0: But not when you walk through the door.
3: Well, I mean, they're, uh, you know, the shelters that are obligated to take in all animals that come through animal control... I mean, that's not going to leave a lot of room for people who are surrendering their pet. There's no room for the dogs that are coming in that are strays. And these are companions, you know, coming in with their humans. And the shelter isn't equipped to help. And And I don't think that's... I think that's just a space issue. So, yeah, I think it would make a lot of sense to reach out to rescues. But I have not seen any COVID returns. I have not seen a single, like that is not why we're getting all of these SOS calls and email. I mean, I, I say no a hundred times a week and that is not a good feeling when, you know, you're supposed to be helping, Mm -hmm. but I think the economy has a lot to do with it as well. I'm I'm you know we're seeing a lot of people that have to move. They can't afford where they live anymore. You know, they've lost their jobs, things like that. I think uh I think that that's, you know, a big reason that we're seeing so many animals in need right now.
1: So going back like since you've been in this world longer what did you see as the role of like a rescue, you know, 20 years ago or just over these last couple decades? Like I feel like um is it always just to get help get more dogs out of the shelter and find home for them or or what do you see that function?
3: Um well starting I feel more knowledgeable talking about like from the mid 2000s um because things just got so much better as far as technology and you know more people realizing that there's a problem more people wanting to help still a lot of people you know a dog would run away or a cat would show up on somebody's doorstep and they would just keep them so there's been a lot of education you know that that has sort of evolved during the year plus the fact that our pets are our companions we call them fur babies <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I will never but we don't leave them outside you right. know because they're dogs that's what they do we'll bring them in if it's cold I mean you know the, the pet store industries have exploded because now we get to dress them up and I'm very guilty of dressing up Raven Ann. She loved it. But anyway. Penny loved it. <laughs> but I mean, you know, now I would totally get like the side eye and I'd just sleep with one eye open if I had to dress <laughs> But I feel like rescues were, I I feel like there was a lot of heroics. Like, I feel like people who said that they were involved in rescue really felt like, they were wearing capes. I mean, and I would see, I mean, did you guys ever see all the fights that would happen in the, in the barks reception area when a dog that was going to get rescued ended up being adopted and the rescue would, like, fight the adopter because they said they wanted that animal? Mm. Oh, and the rest of us are like... Thank <laughs> the animal's leaving the shelter, so why do you care? You know, the rescue wanted that because it made them look good. It made them feel good. And I think we've seen that there are so many lows in rescue that your highs are saving a life. And then so you keep doing it and then you get yourself into real trouble. So I think that there's been a lot of uh, there was a, a lot of lack of management Um whatever that really means. I, you know, there 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 weren't necessarily the boards that there are. There weren't necessarily the team leaders as they were. You know, it'd be like one person that's like, oh, this is my rescue. I can do what I want. Well, okay. But I mean, having cats under your bed because you have no place to put them, is is that really the answer? I mean, is yeah, you, you pulled the animal, but have you made a difference? So I, I think now rescues evolved to the point where there are checks and balances. And I feel also that rescues are so awful to other rescues mm-hmm. that it's kind of worth taking note to see, okay, is, the, is there an area where I can improve? In you know, obviously some of these issues are enormous and some of them are really petty, but when they, I happen to scroll through on Facebook and I see something, I think, you know, that's, that's a good thought. Let me ask and see if this were a situation that we were dealt with, would we be able to handle it? So I try to use the other rescues as open-mindedly as possible so that I can learn from them. I think I just wish that there weren't as many as there are. There were so few rescues. 10 20 years ago that we all work together and now there's so many rescues and i feel very few of us work together i mean i feel very very fortunate that tara's house has so many great relationships and they ended up you know staying as friendships i mean it's also part of barks because that's kind of like where ground zero but we i would never burn bridges with another rescue because We all have something to offer. I just wish it weren't so shitty. (laughs) (laughs) So
1: I guess you bring up a good point. I mean, most rescues are just born out of somebody who sees a need to help animals and they want to do it. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you know how to run an organization or that you like have experience in like nonprofit management or people management. It's just, it's all done kind of by heart. It's primarily women (laughs) and, and there aren't any like real like qualifications or or anything. It's just people trying to make a difference. And sometimes that can go really, really well. And sometimes it can't. (laughs) So yeah, you touched on this issue of like the infighting and that's something I definitely wanted to cover because it's, it's something that has kind of like, made me not want to get more involved than I already am, quite frankly, because I I don't like drama, you know, I don't like want to have that in my life, you know? <laughs> and, um, so where, where do you think, like, what are, are the most common reasons that you think there are like in fighting? Like, is there like, if any theme, like overarching themes of like too
0: many people commenting on social media posts that they don't really know the story about what's all the lot of them. Um, There's a lot of emotions that go into animals, that people are very emotional about animals and the story with that animal. So a lot of times you will see an animal promoted on these sites that are meant to get the animal out there for a rescue to pull, And you have a lot of people who are kind of on the outskirts of rescue who a lot of times start getting overly involved when they're not making the decisions. And then there's a lot of chatter on social media about what they feel like should have happened. A lot of somebody do something people. I see that all the time. But that is the worst. And... (laughs) Yet they're not that somebody, um, or they could a, be. <laughs> right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of guilt in rescue. Um, there's a lot of guilt when you can't do everything, and that promotes a lot of emotion. So I, I think social media is a double-edged sword when it comes to rescue stuff, and it's it's tough, and and people do lash out. At each other, unfortunately, rather than the teamwork that it really should be.
1: So Melissa, can you think of any things from your experience that like was most likely to cause the most drama?
2: Yeah, I think generally it's uh, you know social media is a huge contributor. and I mean, when you look at social media in general and how people seem to not be able to tolerate differences of opinion anymore? or differences in beliefs, I think that is very much what happens in the rescue world where, you know, I started a rescue because I felt like I had ideas about how a rescue should be run and not that other people were doing it wrong, but that I thought this there's a need for for this Mm -hmm. kind of rescue. And you know, I think that there's people who maybe didn't agree with the way we did some things. And uh, just because that's not the way they did it. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't really matter. Right. As long as at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we are taking good care of dogs, we're supporting our fosters. And we're doing our very best to put them in wonderful homes. You know, how all the little details happen shouldn't really be a reason to argue or criticize but the people are just so hypercritical and it may be you know at at some points i i think that there's um i sort of remember there being like oh you know there were certain rescues that were seen as like the 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 big you know popular rescue at the time and maybe the rescues who weren't that rescue might feel threatened or jealous and that could play into some of this. when really it's all very silly and you know none of us are or should should be doing it for our own egos or you know our own um, you know sense of self-worth right sense of self-worth or to get accolades it's like we're doing this because we care about animals and we want to be around people who care about animals So I think it's just like a difference in, you know, people not tolerating a difference in opinion or a difference in how we do things. Um, And and maybe even a little bit of jealousy sometimes, which is just so silly. There is never a shortage of dogs to help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't understand that. I found that very difficult to deal with. That was one of the most stressful parts of rescue was not feeling supported by people in the community at times. Um, And I don't mean to say there wasn't incredible support from so many. But, you know, when you're working so hard, and you're volunteering, to basically do a full time job on top of your full time job, and your family, and you're being criticized and attacked by people who are in the community who should be supporting you, even if it's only a few people, it hurts. And it's not something that I could recover from easily. And I think that, you know, I, I tried my best. And I definitely, you know, picked myself up by my bootstraps and kept going. But it bothered me. And I think that, you know, anybody who's doing this has some level of sensitivity to animals and humans. And, you know, you want to be helpful. So feeling like that was not, was not fun. That was, that was a really hard part of Rescue.
1: Well, Jen, we were joking, um, you know, like you're like, oh, I'm totally fine being in a room with people that don't like me or, or, you know, things like this. Stop it. (laughs) I mean, I feel like that's part of that thick skin that has to develop, right? Like that, you know, when you do this for a long time that, you know, you're probably going to piss some people off and you got to be able to keep focusing on the dogs to keep going.
3: I don't care what people think about me. Sorry to those people that think I I do. And <laughs> I, I and I I do, I, I care for and like a lot of people, but I can't even think of anybody whose opinion matters to me. I'm just shocked at how many people in rescue get death threats. Wow. I mean, really?
0: Mm.
3: Like you don't you're not terrified enough wondering if the dog that you said that you would pull as a last resort, but what if you actually slept and you missed that call that you're the rest, you know, because I think we've all got, please get this, this dog now. What if I slept through that? So I'm already, like, the anxiety's already up to here thinking that I may have killed a dog, but I have to worry about somebody killing me. Mm-hmm. Where in the rule book is that? Like, nobody tells you. That that is a real possibility. That's
1: blowing my mind right now.
3: And I know um, I've been I've been with Tara's house off and on for many years, and I just kind of just like once I started my Reiki practice, I kind of just just got away from rescues just so I could kind of build up my practice. And I you know just kind of was like on the periphery of Tara's house. But what we did and it worked so well, and I wish more people did it. We would do dog swaps with other rescues. Like, Arf got a dog that was, uh, I think, like, too big. Or I don't know what the issue was, but, I mean, the dog was perfect for house We were like, yeah, bring it. And then we had, like, this little snappy snapper thing. And we were like, And, you know, Erica was like, come to mama. So I was like, all right, works. You know, and I think that that is I, I wish we could do that more as something that's not seen very often and, <laughs> and I just don't know and why. that would be amazing I just yeah. don't know why and I mean we've had dogs that I've said you know I think that such and such rescue might be better prepared I'm going to reach out to them if if for no other reason than to just ask for suggestions for how we can best help this dog while it he's in our care you know I they really know what they're talking about. You know, what do you think? No. No, this is our dog, our responsibility. I don't you know I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, ultimately at the end of the day it's your decision. I'm just throwing out ideas. But I mean, it worked it worked so well. We we worked with uh, Recycled Love for a dog, this dog had two rescues. There was another dog that had like three rescues. It was like we all worked together for the sake of the dog. We didn't care who got the adoption fee. We didn't care about any of that. We just wanted the dog, you know, like, hey, dog, you're living your best life because you've got three rescues that know what they're doing. And you've got all their people, too, who are going to back you up. So if anything happens, rescue A, B, or C is, has your back. You know, so I just kind of wish that it were more like that, Because there there is a it's just it's just so ugly, it's so ugly, you know, even people on your own team can just really do things to to screw things over just because they don't like somebody, and it just seems to me it would be so much easier just to leave than to try to stir up things. Because then that's a whole other thing, you know, because saving lives, you have to do it quickly. Like you can't be like, you know, having this discussion about who doesn't like whom <laughs> when you're about to step out the door to drive to, I don't know, somewhere in Delaware, or wherever your your shelter partner is to pick up a dog. It's like, you know, you can't, your, your heart and your brain can't do both things. So I have just found it easier to just tune out people because if I cared what people thought (laughs) I'd have been dead long ago, you know, I would have just been, I would have just like jumped off a cliff.
0: But I will also say that we, we feel all of that, but the friendships that you make during these situations are friendships you will never get anywhere else. You, the, the stress of the saving the animals and the emotions and everything that goes with that. I mean, Melissa and I have been great friends for 10 years. Like, I, my friends circle is so strong. And like you said, if you, your car broke down, you would stop at the shelter because those are the people that are going to help you. And the family feel that comes from being involved in a rescue really helps you get through those tough things because, you know, did you see what that bitch said about us? You know, (laughs) like there is no tighter group than a group of rescue women who are in it for the right reason. And it it really helps you to get some drinks and decompress and do what you got to do to get your head back on and go out and fight the fight because rescues can be... An amazing family and that gets you through the tough part of it oh, you know? absolutely. yeah yeah I mean I've you know we've got so many mutual friends I've never met you before we we'll probably have along the line but right you know it's like but we know that circle of friends that are so amazing yeah in absolutely. the rescue community yeah I mean yeah. like
3: I didn't realize that some of these people that I'm friends with on Facebook I've never actually met yeah, <laughs> and
0: I'm like, that is. But just- you know, you could contact them out of anywhere, yes. and they would be there. Yeah, they they'd probably yes. like, you know, be, have your be, beef it up to some guy <laughs> saying, "Are you causing her a problem?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's such a strong family in the rescue world when we're not tearing each other down. <laughs> and, and I want to just say that and promote that part of it because we need people to come into our world. And I think we can be very intimidating to outsiders who just want to cuddle a cute kitten or have a cute little puppy for a little while and foster. And I think we can be very intimidating that way because we are... So straight to the point, and I've heard that a few times this week about myself. That we you know, she's be. very blunt, oh, and we
3: have to be. Yes. We cannot
0: sugarcoat things. <laughs> yeah, and we're, yeah, what? But what we care. What does it?
3: Yeah, what good does it do us to sugarcoat things? Yeah, you know, yes. this is not the dog for you. Yeah, this is the dog for right. you. But I want that dog. Well, I don't bye. care. Yes, <laughs> you're not getting that dog. Yes. Stop it. Get your mind off of
1: that. You know?
0: <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> so.
1: I'm still my mind is still reeling about the death threats comment like where would that be coming from is that from people who you didn't adopt a dog from and they thought that you should have is that coming from other rescues is that coming from randos on Facebook that are like why didn't you take that dog or you know like where is that coming from. Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes.
2: <laughs> I was going to say, Jen, we don't need names. but yeah, yeah. I mean, I know myself,
0: I have been taking a dog out of one door of a shelter while people are at the other door who blatantly abused a dog trying to get them back. You know, there are people who do weird things and you end up with that dog and then you're with, you have this dog and they're pursuing it. And you've gotten that dog in a totally legit way, but you don't necessarily know the history that was there. Mm -hmm. We've been involved in (laughs) several interesting situations Mm -hmm. that you may find out about, you know, after the fact. And there are some really bad people who do some really bad things. I mean, (sighs) I have a foster right now that was a, you know, a police involved situation. And, you know, sometimes we're stashing dogs in our house that the general public can't know about because there are some really bad people who are not happy about rescue getting involved in the dog world because dogs are money. Mm -hmm. Pit bulls are money. And when you do predominantly pit bull rescue, um, there's some interesting things that have to happen to do the right thing by that dog and by society. I mean, yeah, we see some yeah. of it at the clinic. Correct, yes. And I always wonder yeah. how many of these dogs
1: we <laughs> see at the clinics are going to end up coming through the shelter and through the...
0: Well, and, and you know, not many of them because we unfortunately get a lot of dogs who have been attempted to be killed. Um, I've fostered shot dogs. My dog's been shot. Um, My dog has a bullet in her spine and is paralyzed. Um, I've had dogs that were stabbed. A lot of those bad people would rather kill that dog than have it end up at the shelter. Um, I've gone and snuck in and taken dogs out of the shelter when I knew the people who put the dog there. Because they wanted to do things like go on vacation. And it so there are some bad people (laughs) you'd go into
3: like the quarantine area he'd go to the quarantine area of the shelter no
2: i usually don't go. like i just have known of the situation oh i see yeah yeah without saying too much (laughs) i remember waking up uh mornings after trying to get some sleep or you know coming home from work where you have to Go yeah, sometime, your real job, so you can, pay the yeah, bill, yeah, yeah. support, support your, your family, yeah. right, and your rescue <laughs> habit. And you know, maybe getting texts or from somebody else in the rescue going, "Hey, you need to get on Facebook right now and see what everybody's saying about Bella's because some, you know, bad person to quote Nicole who lost their dog because you know either they did something bad or did something dumb or you know but legitimately lost their dog lost custody somehow of their dog and we got their dog through legitimate means through a shelter and they found out we had their dog because we post pictures of dogs right? and then you know we'd wake up to like a shit show of of craziness saying insinuating that you stole their dog and then other people believe it and 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 including some people from rescue (laughs) which is just absurd and that didn't happen often but if it happens a couple of times a year (laughs) yeah if it happens a couple of times a year it's more than enough because it's very stressful to do damage control and get them out of your life yeah
0: I've been on my way to events and had Melissa call me and say turn around you can't go the people are there who think this is their dog and they're waiting to get said dog. Uh, uh. (laughs) So it gets a little interesting, (laughs) but I will say in the years of rescue, I've never been involved in a situation where it was the rescue getting the dog inappropriately. It's just other people tend to have a mixed idea of why you have their dog. Gotcha. Yeah, we have a
3: vet. Um, that we use and when the shelter says we've got a problem you know with this cruelty case or whatever it is you need to get the dog now we take the dog to that vet because they require password mm-hmm. so that yeah. dog is in there's you know you have to have a list of the names of people that are allowed and one time I forgot to put the name of the foster and they're like can, can you call him?" <laughs> i was like oh shoot yeah 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 yeah. yeah. gotcha gotcha <laughs> um but i mean it's it's no joke i mean because we've seen you know dogs you know horrible horrible cruelty yeah. cases and the people want them back they, they it's property they can do with them as they choose well, you really can't give your eight-week-old puppy heroin. It's just, you just don't, you know? Mm -hmm. Besides, isn't that cutting into your profit margins? (laughs) I mean, really, why would you do that? And then those dogs, when we have situations like that, we reach out to other rescues in other states and say, hey, you know, we got to get this Mm -hmm. dog out of here.
0: Okay. My 10-year-old knows... A dog comes in and she goes, is this one witness protection? And I goes, no, this this one's good. <laughs> Can they go out? <laughs> wow. This is like blowing my mind a little bit. Like, you know, like I know some of it, you know, but like I don't Well, people know will think I'll be on a foster break because I'm not on Facebook saying that I have a foster. Um, and I have friends who foster multiple witness protection dogs we call them jokingly and you would think that they don't foster and they, they have post about it yeah yeah so it's it's another interesting world yeah it is yeah. it's like the the underworld the underground The dogs where, that you
3: can't post yeah you know, and you have to, you know, figure it. out
0: how to get them adopted. I know
3: it kind of reminds me back to my Polaroid at the picnic yeah. table days when you like slide the picture across the table. I can't tell you anything about this talk.
1: <laughs> so let's talk about fostering some, uh, I know you're, you're like a prolific fosterer, <laughs> whether you can talk about it or not.
0: What makes a good foster volunteer? somebody who follows directions. <laughs> um, rescues have rules, and they have them for a reason. And a lot of times people get into rescuing or fostering because they, they want cute puppies and kittens and dogs. And I, I guess also we come from a world of people rescue. We are really, really into um, protecting the breed, and protecting the public view of these dogs and stuff. so um, people who can understand why rescues have certain rules um, rescues have to carry insurance yeah and that can be devastating if there is a certain incident that you lose your insurance or you know financially it becomes a problem. Um, so that that part's really important. Then of course, just having the time and the energy and the will and the want to take care of these dogs that might have been in a bad situation at, at some point, I don't know. Maybe I don't even know what makes a good foster because maybe I'm not.
2: <laughs> I think you are. I think one, <laughs> one thing I think of I is try that, to follow rules. <laughs> yeah, one thing I think of is that love is not enough. Yes. Perfect. So, You know, yes, you have to follow rules. There's liability. There's a lot of responsibility on the people who are running a rescue. Yes. So you have to have fosters you can trust to, to look out for that and to protect the dog. Not just love the dog, but understand what it is to keep the dog safe and in a safe situation, especially when dogs may be coming from an environment where they've been extremely stressed and they need some time to decompress. I would say, you know, we provided an incredible amount of education to our fosters. So all kinds, you know, about nutrition and c- caring for a dog in terms of just how to care for their health, um, training with wonderful local trainers who volunteered their time, which was just an incredible donation from them. Um, but all of our fosters had access to education and training. And I think a good foster is somebody who understands that it's their responsibility to really learn about dogs and not just love a dog. So, you know, to have to learn about how to do basic training with a dog, and how to provide just a healthy environment, whether it's, you know, nutrition, grooming, whatever the needs are. But you know that they don't always have to be told and micromanaged by the people who run the rescue because then it's just too much. You know, a couple of people can't take care of, you know, 30, 40 dogs. The fosters have to take on that responsibility. And yes, love is
0: important, but it's not enough. But and also your your job as a foster is not to make this dog Um, work for your household. Your job as a foster is to make this a dog that is going to work for an adopter's household. Uh, You know, one of our big rules is crate training, house training, manners, uh, you know, basic obedience. And that's because while you may want your dog to sleep in bed with you, the adopter may not. So knowing, and and that is really hard for a foster to get into their head that this is not making this dog your dog. Um, My dog sleeps in bed with me. My fosters do not at all. My fosters are crate trained and they sleep in a crate when I leave the house and my dog does not. So getting that reality that the rescue is asking you to do things for a reason because they have been through this and they know what needs to be done to be able to make that dog adoptable and safe to go into another home.
3: We call it shelter guilt.
0: Yeah. When people get a dog right from
3: the shelter and they go, oh, you poor thing, you've been in this cage, so I'm not going to create you. And yes, you can sleep in bed with me and here you can be on the couch. And, you know, you just have this entitled jerk of a dog. (laughs) Yeah. And then we have to like do like the situation like they were when they were in the shelter, you know, no, you create them. You do this. You, you know, you have boundaries, you know, nothing in life is free. That is like one of our big things that we hand out. I mean, that's one of our, uh, like 20 handouts that we give to our fosters and to our adopters. You do not get to be the one who spoils this dog. You get to be the one who gets a, that gives the dog a home environment, period, mm-hmm. you know, don't worry about the shelter guilt. We got yeah. that.
2: <laughs> that kind of right. and that kind of structure really helps the dogs adjust so much more quickly, yes. too.
3: Absolutely, I think. And yeah, once they know what's expected of them, it makes things so much easier. If they if the dogs don't have the rules, they come up with rules on their own. And hey, who, who you know? I kind of like my kelch cushions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the foster I have now, the first night I got him, screamed for eight hours straight in his crate. And I sucked it up and I dealt with it. And the second night, it was only like three hours. And by the third night, he was a dream. But, you know, there are people who that first night are going to cave mm-hmm. and you have to be that person who's not going to cave to these dogs because they're like children and they're like toddlers and, you know,
2: love. yes. Yeah, so they'll cave or they'll give you the dog back.
0: Yes. Well, and that's the thing. And sometimes we'll say,
3: okay, clearly this dog is not working for you. Right. You're approved as a foster. We can give this dog to a different foster if you can foster the dog that they have. No, I want to pick out my own dog from the shelter. I'm like, okay.
0: This isn't your dog.
3: That's not what this is. (laughs) You know, you're like, thank you. If you want to, why don't you just go to the shelter and foster for them? That might be a little bit easier. But if they
0: understood how rewarding it was to get through that tough period and to go, I did this. I made this an amazing dog that is going to be a great dog. The reward at the end is so amazing. So just finding those people that are willing to stick it out for the reward.
3: Yeah. I I think like with, with Tara's house, we've got our fosters are everywhere from West Virginia to Anne Arundel County to, you know, parts of Northern Virginia. So if we have a foster in Virginia who needs training, you know, it's going to take a minute because we've got to figure out who is in that area. I mean, I've been driving to Anne Arundel County quite a bit this week working with the Fosters because I'm not really psyched about some of the trainers that are out there, and we don't have any training partners in that area. So I'll just go, Um, which which is fine. I mean, I'm glad they're reaching out. But I think if we had more, I don't know, I guess like maybe people in a closer area. I mean, because you guys, your area... Of fosters and support and vets and trainers. I mean, you were all kind of in a, it, like yeah, Baltimore for, County, Baltimore City. Yeah, for, for the Bellas,
2: it was very strongly Baltimore based. And we had some people who lived a little bit outside, but they were, they agreed in advance that they would come to Baltimore for the resources. And that usually worked out, and but they were few and far between. People who were outside of that geographical area.
0: We we have people in Frederick. We have you know people in Arundel County and you know Harford County, and, and it does get difficult when they're so spread out. But you know, in a time that there are so few fosters, it's it's tough, and there is a lot of getting around on the part of the administrative people who right. are running things. Right. And a lot of times it's a, a lot of, Hey, I have something to give to somebody. Is anybody going to that area? Yep. And yep. yeah, so you make it work because we're so desperate for fosters these days yeah. and, and really good fosters may be far away from you and, and it's worth it. Well, I
3: mean, I know it wasn't always the way because um, I mean, you know, pities I and mean, person would reach out to us and say, Hey, you know, we've got this foster and, in Frederick, that's not our area. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Do you want to take them on as one of your fosters? I mean, do you love that? Like, that's when rescues work together. Yeah. Yeah. Our, foster, our foster is fabulous. They're just too far away. So, would you like them? Yeah. Like, we need more of that. Yes, we you do. Know? We we absolutely
1: do. Yeah. And so, what about when you are a foster? Like, what is a good expectation to have of the organization? Like what should the organization be providing to their fosters to set them up for success? Like, and how much thought like do you put into these things?
3: Our fosters have a lot of uh, responsibility, but we couldn't do it without them. Like the, our fosters will write the bios for the dogs. They'll take the pictures They um, have access to all of the vet partners. We just ask that they go to a vet that offers the rescue discount um, because we pay for that. We pay for food, um, you know, everything like that. And if we find, I know in the past, if we found, if there was a great adopter for a dog that was in foster, we would just tell the foster come to this, you know, bring the dog to the event because the adopter is going to meet the dog and take the dog. And we don't do that anymore. I We have the adopter meet the dog. We have the adopter, you know, at least you don't, we don't typically do same day adoptions. And the foster, it doesn't matter how good they look on paper. It does not matter how great the background checks are. It doesn't matter who their friends are, who their references are if the foster doesn't like that person for the dog, that dog doesn't go with the adopter and we get flack for it. You know, and the adopter be like, I think your foster wants to keep the dog for themselves. Oh sure. Yeah. That
2: that's it. (laughs) Yeah. That's definitely something we did differently. I mean, I think, and that, that is, I think either way, is hard. You're gonna be unpopular with someone, mm-hmm. and I would say for the most part, probably more than ninety percent. If a foster had an issue with an adoption, we would take a second look. Absolutely, um and I would so ninety percent of those times we wouldn't adopt to that person. But I could probably count on just two hands in seven years the time the number of times that happened um but there definitely were times where a foster didn't want the adoption and unless they could give a really good reason i mean you can't just say you don't have to like no. everybody right yeah. and that's the thing these adopters don't have to be our friends yeah
0: i've said multiple times i we, don't really like them but no, i think they're great exactly for this dog. <laughs> are they going to take
2: good care of this dog yeah and Nobody, We don't have a crystal ball. We can't predict the future. But we did our due diligence in, you know, the adoption application and a home visit. And, you know, just really making sure that we felt good about this person taking a dog home. And, uh, yeah, that was hard. And that could cause some friction between the people running the rescue and the, the fosters. But truly, I think out of a thousand dogs, I think maybe 10 where the foster wasn't thrilled about the adoption. And then, you know, probably only a couple where it ended up, you know, not going through. So
0: as, as a foster, that is, it is the most amazing experience that you have a part of what happens to this dog. And I have friends, that I have made who are now my extended family who have adopted my dogs and cats, whatever the case may be. And, it's it's really great. Some of them I never hear from again. Um, we will stalk the hell out of you in every <laughs> possible way to assure that that animal is okay. Um, but we don't have to be Facebook friends. Um, but then you make great friendships as well with a lot of these people, because they love you for being their foster, because this is their baby now. So you know, the, the, that is a great part of fostering is that you get to see this through from the beginning
1: to the end.
0: It's really great.
1: So let's talk some about the adoption requirements. Cause that's kind of what prompted me to want to have you all get, here today is I have got, you know, I don't know if you guys have this too, but like, you know, people will just like send screenshot me, tag me in things that are like weird. And they're like, you need to talk about this. <laughs> you need to do something about this. Like, I've seen a couple things where, like, uh, you know, there's an adoption application and they want they ask, sometimes some people think it's like invasive questions. Like, what do you feed your dog? And sometimes, and, and this person said, oh, I feed Purina and the rescue was like, oh, that's not good enough food. Like, you need to go and do all this education about what you're feeding this dog first. Yeah, I'm somebody who's like on the fresh feeding end of the scale. And so sometimes you have to lie about that mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. people don't like that or they don't like maybe like the health decisions or the vet that I go to or, or things like that. So honestly, that's part of why I think a lot of our dogs have just come from the shelter because it's a little less like invasive <laughs> and I don't have to explain my decision making. You know, I've heard other people um, you know, who who think like, oh, this is like too long of a process or, you know, why did they make it so difficult? Why am I getting turned out, you know, but like on the other end, right, like the rescues, you guys have been doing this a long time, you kind of have your system for weeding out people that aren't going to be a good fit, who aren't going to you know take your recommendations for like which dog they should have. I, I definitely see like both sides of it. And so I'm just curious, like how you like Melissa, when you just started a rescue, like out of your own desire to do this, how did you come up
2: with what the adoption requirements and process would be? So Anita and I worked very closely on that together. And I'm um, I think it's funny because I already knew this was going to be a question. So I thought <laughs> about it. And I I mean, certainly we had a process. We had an application that was very well thought through and it was changed when we felt it needed a change. And I think that more than trying to be invasive um, or ask questions so that we could judge people, it was meant to engage the person in a thoughtful activity so they could think through the responsibility of owning a dog. And we want to, you know, we wanted people to be respectful of the process because if they weren't, then it just tells you how committed they were to taking care of a dog. Who's who's not going to be, you know, everything's not always going to be perfect. Sometimes, you know, it's going to take some work. And so if you're not up for, you know, answering some questions from people who have saved the life of this animal and, you know, just cared for them personally. Um, if you don't feel that you need to do anything in, in a way to prove that you are a good family for this dog. I, I just felt you weren't right for our rescue, because nobody was going to feel good about that. Right. You know, so I think it was really just meant to get people to think about the process. I mean, we did ask, do you understand that the average dog costs this much to care for in a year. Is that something that you're capable of providing? And it wasn't meant to be critical or judgmental of people who did not have that sort of disposable income, if you will, or, you know, however you want to put that money to put aside for the care of a dog. It's that so many times we've seen things go badly when people weren't prepared and it hurts the animal. It hurts all kinds of people involved when an animal either dies from not having adequate care or is given up again because the owner, you know, didn't plan or didn't anticipate what the needs were going to be. So I just feel like we were trying to get people to understand the level of responsibility. Um, and then we did home visits and I know that's very variable, but, I just think it's a good way for people to show they are who they say they are, you know, they have, uh, they they do have an environment that is safe and healthy for a dog, and that their family is going to be the right family for maybe a particular dog. And certainly there were applications that looked really good that on the home visit were an immediate no. Mm -hmm. And that may be because children were extremely disrespectful. Mm -hmm. Or, you know... um, You're a hoarder and you didn't divulge that. Or your house is actually (laughs) falling apart. (laughs) And, you know, not probably safe for your children. And I mean, these were so few. But these are the things that you could discover on a home visit. So is it intrusive? Maybe. But this is a Mm -hmm. life
0: Yeah. And it's a life that's been in your home and you've loved and your children love and has become part of your family. So it's a little bit different than when it's a shelter where you've had multiple people caring for the dog. Not that that's any less of a circumstance, but you, as the foster and the rescue, have a different connection that is made. And it's a connection of the dog being in your house for sometimes years. And
2: It it really makes a difference. Yeah, And then one of the other things I think was different about Bella's than many other rescues was that we didn't have blanket rules for many things. And that made things very hard work Mm -hmm. because it required a lot of critical thinking. So, and a little bit of judgment, to be honest, right? I mean, that's just honest. But again, we didn't judge people by whether or not we liked them or they, we, you know, we could be friends with them, or they would want to be friends with us. It was, do we honestly think they're going to provide a good home for this dog, but we didn't have rules about children or fences or other dogs or, you know, things like that, Um, which, quite frankly, would have made things a lot easier if we had those rules. But we didn't feel good about that. And we really wanted to give everybody the best chance to give a dog a home and to for the dogs to to find a home, and I do even looking back now think if I did it again I would absolutely do it that way. Yeah, even though mm-hmm. it was a lot of hard work and uh, but, you know, the volunteers who were really involved who helped us with those these processes, you know, I think we we all respected that this was a good way to do things and that we could be honest with each other about our opinions. And oddly, I feel like although Anita and I are extremely different people, we really never disagreed. So even if we had differing opinions going into a conversation, I think we always agreed at the end which what was the right thing to do and that was so helpful. I mean, Anita was an amazing partner in this Uh, And I just, I feel like she just is a person who just naturally knows how to do the right thing. So I don't know how other rescues can find somebody like that, but (laughs) (laughs) I was very fortunate. And
0: usually when you have somebody say something like, um, they said I'm not allowed to adopt the dog because of some silly reason. That's probably not the real reason. Um, There's probably a, we called your references, and they said, that's my daughter, and I would never adopt a dog to her anyway. I mean, there are, I promise you, it's not, we need homes for these dogs. And I promise you, it's it's not the brand of food that you're using. Um, there have been, we have an amazing adoption coordinator who can find the most interesting things about people because of, Simple case searches, Facebook, Instagram. And yes, while you may say you're an amazing home for this dog, your Facebook profile of you with this aggressive dog, you know, throwing up your middle finger and smoking weed with your two dogs on chains, you're not getting our dog. It's just not happy. So, There's usually something that is very triggering that has been found. Um, I've been involved in many very strange situations where things looked good on a piece of paper because you can put anything you want on a piece of paper. Um, But a phone call to the person, uh, a visit to their home, a meeting with them with the dog and the children, that's usually an interesting one, Um, that reveals a lot that you got to feel comfortable as the rescue and the foster as to where that dog's going. Where do you guys fall on whether people own their own home or not? Cause that's one that I've seen our organization being a pit bull rescue. You need to own your own home because of the laws. And like and, insurance. And-, and we have so many, I mean we just get emails constantly of people my landlord said I could have a dog, but now they found out it's a pit bull, and now I can't have it anymore. And it's it's constant. And, you know, it's you constant. can find the pet policy anywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean... But it can also change with a lot of these... Um, Landlords and renting situations. It's our preference as a rescue to do it that way. With the rescue I'm at now, um, I can't remember was Bella. No. So we Bella's wasn't, but we didn't have we a policy are. against it. Yeah,
2: but we were very careful. And we, I mean, if I remember correctly, I don't Hard. think we ever had it backfire. Yeah. Um, We, it would have to be upfront an extremely solid application Mm -hmm. and we would have to have a phone conversation and in writing from the landlord that this was acceptable, you know, that they know that this was a dog considered a pit bull type dog, you know, and I I don't remember how many we did, but it was definitely not something that we had a rule against. We, we did it case by case and I think it worked out for us.
0: But that being said, also... We also see tons of somebody who adopted a dog who owns a home and now they've lost their house and their renters and the dog has to come back. So is it the perfect answer? It's not. I talked to a foster from another rescue yesterday who the rescue requires a fence and that's just their policy that they've found works best for them we don't require a fence. And I have other ones. (laughs) I have fosters in Harford County on multiple acres of land living their best life. And I love that life that that dog has. So I mean, we have dogs who are in Baltimore City who walk every day and are living a great life who don't have a fence because they're in a small row home with a car pad. So every rescue does it a little bit different. And I don't it's it's a shame if anybody bashes them. Some are doing home visits, some are not. It's just what works for that particular rescue. I yeah.
3: think our big thing is um, what the vets say. Um, yeah. You know, if you smoke outside of your house, if you don't have a fence, if this, that, or the other, we are really more concerned about Does your dog get monthly preventatives? Do you take your dog to the vet on a regular basis? I mean, things like that. Um, We have had instances where, you know, um, uh, a family member has been a reference and they've said, absolutely not.
0: (laughs) Absolutely.
3: And our answer to that is... To the applicant, can you please provide a reference that is not a family member? Because a lot of the times, the family member is going to vouch for the person. So we want a little bit more of an objective thing. But I mean, like, don't put that person's name... And then, like, have an argument with them over who's gonna host Thanksgiving because yeah. <laughs> then, when you call them up, they're gonna say, "Oh gosh, they're selfish, self-serving. They don't care about right. anybody but themselves. They're not gonna take care of a dog. I mean, they can't even manage to take care of their kids." And you are like, "Okay, there is obviously something else
0: going on here." <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: But, so, for us, really, whatever uh, we're we're mostly concerned with the the vetting because that. That tells us so, so much.
1: See, that's an interesting one for me because I make more like holistic options. And so I don't give my dogs monthly preventatives because we use other methods of you know taking care of their needs and so but
3: i think that counts as a but you're preventing i mean it doesn't matter whether it's like heart guard or something like that if you're doing something to keep your dog from getting heartworm i guess
1: like that's one of the things that makes me like hesitant of like i don't want to have to like be explaining my dog's health decisions to
0: somebody you know what i mean right (laughs) right right But, but that would be a conversation you would have on a phone interview and but also if if you want this dog that i love you're gonna explain yourself. I mean, honestly, and I, I do titering for my dogs for vaccinations. I do raw fed diet. I mean, this was you know when we were with Bella's, we didn't do a whole lot of preventatives that were, and that was because of Melissa's background yeah. and you know, those conversations I know for us happen um, that you don't do preventatives. Well, tell me about it. Well, because I work with a holistic vet that we do um, garlic supplements or whatever it will be. And and that's a conversation. And, Absolutely. You know, and there are so many, you know, uh, you know, Reiki
3: practitioners. I mean, obviously, the holistic approach is, is a really good one. So you're right. Let's have that conversation. It doesn't have to be some trio. If if garlic or whatever works, have at it. Um, we we do something similar for for flea and ticks. You know, would I be denied? I don't know because like we're still taking care of it. It's just yeah. not in a I know perform. from the perspective
0: of our rescue, that would not be a denial, but it's still a question yeah. because we've seen so many weird situations and weird people and you know I I see uh, you know on your Facebook uh, three months ago you posted about this new puppy but that puppy's not on your application why not oh well I mean it got sick and it might have had parvo and I didn't have money so we surrendered it at the ER okay well that's a conversation we're gonna need to have because you're now trying to adopt a puppy from us who may have a significant health problem. So it's, it's conversation prompting, I think is a lot of the application process. It doesn't mean that you're denied, it doesn't mean that you're explaining things that you shouldn't have to explain, but it a lot of times sets up conversations for other things and you would be so surprised the things that we find. By asking those questions, I think open-ended questions can be really helpful. All by
2: a lot of work, like I said, like you know, and if maybe a higher volume rescue may not be able to do that sort of thing, yeah. Um, But I think asking open-ended questions so that people have an opportunity to explain how they do things instead of saying, "Do you have a fence?" Yes, no, you know or you know do you walk your dog every day yes no it's like asking you know how do you provide enrichment for your dog and what would be a typical day and things like that i think we really favored those kinds of questions and that worked for us um, because it i think sometimes people will see those questions on a an application or do you use heartguard every month and they will just stop the process yeah. because they're they're thinking that they're going to be judged for that and that they're not going to get the dog so they may not even complete the application and that could be the best family in the world for a dog and you've just missed that opportunity so i feel like you know that's important in the application to just have it be a little more open-ended so that people don't feel like they're being judged on every single question
1: So we're going to stop there for part one of the Rescue Roundtable. I hope you'll come back and join us next week for part two. In part two, we're going to talk about those home visits and what the rescues are looking for during the home visits. And we'll also get into how rescues deal with difficult dogs, how they choose dogs to go into the rescue in the first place, especially those pit bulldogs, and what keeps them going when things get hard. And we heard today exactly how emotional some of this can get. I'm so grateful to Nicole, to Melissa, and to Jen for so honestly sharing all their experiences and thoughts and emotions with us. I thought this was a really important conversation to have, and I thank you for listening. And that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. If you like this episode, remember that you can always leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's pretty much the biggest compliment that you can give a podcaster. You can always find me at Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook or at Erin the Dog Mom on Instagram. So until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs.
3: Believe in Dog Podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.